bottom line baseball MLB legend Lance Berkman. Lance, thanks so much for joining the time to join bottom line baseball. First off, how are things going with you? It's been a crazy last few months, but first off, how are you doing? Oh, doing pretty good. Just, uh, you know, uh, like you said, everything's been crazy and it seems like things are starting to inch back towards normal and uh, whatever, whatever that means anymore. But uh, for it's good to see baseball being played at the major league level. It's good to see college baseball and of course, high school also. And so, um, you know, it's, it feels a lot more like a normal spring and beginning of the summer than, than it, than it did last year. Mm-hmm. Well, Lance, we'll get into this podcast. And first off, Thanks for joining in. What was it like to play at Rice? And give us your best Rice story. Ah, man. It, well, first of all, it was, it was a great honor to, to be able to play at Rice. And, you know, it, things have changed so much. I'm Right now, I'm, I'm helping coach a, a college team, at the, a, a Division three college here in, in Houston. Um, and, and the recruiting process and everything is so much different than it was when I was coming out. And, you know, they're now – everybody's there's so many websites and you can find players you know from all over but back then it was it was all kind of a scout system where the scouts would be out looking for guys and so uh when i got when i was being recruited by rice that was the only school that that was really recruiting me i mean i've you know of course a and m and texas were kind of the big the big guys that where everybody wanted to go but they didn't really have an interest and so um Rice sent me a letter and I got a letter from Rice and I got a letter from uh, Memphis, believe it or not, the Tigers. And um, so those are my two options. And I wanted to stay in Texas. And I feel like nowadays there's this, there's a lot of fanfare that surrounds signing of scholarships and, and recruiting visits. But my recruiting visit was my dad and I got into our car and drove down to the Rice campus. Uh, I met the assistant coach and I met, one of the players, he showed me, Hey, here's the library. Here's the dorm, you know, here's the field, here's the locker room. Okay. You want to sign? Sure. So they put the scholarship right down on the dugout steps and I signed it right there and I got back in my car and drove back home. So that was, that was kind of my recruiting experience there, but getting to be at Rice was a tremendous blessing in so many ways that I still keep in touch with a lot of the guys that I played with there. And I always, I tell the kids that, that I'm, coaching now you know your college baseball playing experience is going to be the most fun that you'll ever have playing baseball and doesn't matter if you play for 15 or 20 years in the major leagues getting to play college baseball is is the most fun you can have playing baseball and so you know try to I encourage them to try to enjoy it as much as they can and um, we just we had a great group there I was sort of on the front end of the the run that rice had where they were pretty dominant for a while and we got a chance to be on the first team that ever went to a regional and the first team that ever went to the college world series and um that my my freshman year there was our first regional team and then my junior year which was my last year there uh was was the college world series team so it was just fun to be on the front end of that with coach graham and of course getting to play for coach graham legendary coach i mean the great thing about coaches if you, if you take, if you talk to anybody that ever played for him, they're always going to have about 10 to 12 stories that are just amazing about things he did and said, and, and I'm no exception. So, you know, one of my favorite stories about my time at Rice, we were, um, we were in a little bit of, it was my sophomore year. We were in a little bit of a struggle because we were in the process of losing eight straight conference games, which that's not good. And back in those days we were playing in the Southwest conference. And so, 
um, we had been swept at Texas and then we were going in to play TCU. So um, we had, you know, we really wanted to play well, make a long story short, I'm playing left field against TCU. This is sort of a pivotal game in the series. We're on kind of a losing streak. So coach is not happy. Um, it's a close game late in the game. The wind that day was blowing, seemed like about 40 miles an hour from right field across to left field. So was, I'm, I'm the left fielder. So the wind is blowing from my left to right. And, uh, you know, it's kind of blowing towards the foul pole. So they pinch hit this big left-handed hitter. He hits a sky ball, you know, just a real high slice and fly ball. And I thought it was going to be in left center field. So I take off to my left and I run a few steps and I realize, oh man, you know, this, the, the wind caught it and it's, put, it's blowing it back towards the left field line. So now I got to run kind of a full circle and come back and I'm now I'm chasing it. And the, it seemed like the harder I ran, the, the more the wind pushed the ball away from me. And, you know, I was giving it a great effort and I dove for it and, you know, missed it by a foot, barely missed it, but still was kind of a, you know, bad route, didn't catch it. And then on top of that, I go sliding into the corner. Now the, the fields back then a lot of, at a lot of places weren't very good. And TCU, this was before they got their new field. They, their, the foul pole was actually in play. So the pole, it was really, it was like a pole that was sticking, you know, out on the line. And I went sliding into this pole. And of course I'm running full speed and my, my leg hits the pole. And I think I've got a broken leg now. And the guy, meanwhile, that hit it is rounding second, headed for third. And now I've got to try to find this ball and throw it in, keep this guy from getting a triple and maybe an inside to Parker. The problem is with the wind, the wind had blown all kind of debris into the corner. Um, and so I was like sorting through a trash can trying to find the baseball. It was like the, I tell people it's like the, the, the scene from Star Wars where they're caught in the trash compactor and they're kind of floating in there looking for the baseball. And I can't find it. My shortstop's screaming at me. This dude's, you know, he's not very fast, but I mean, heck, he's headed for third. And so I, I managed to find the ball. And the reason I had a hard time finding it is because it was sitting on top of a plastic grocery bag. And, and it, you know, the ball's white, the bag was white. And so, oh, there's the ball. So I reached down to grab it and I go to throw it. And when I do, I I'd grab the bag and the ball together. So I've got this like streamer coming off my hand. And, uh, and so I realized, well, I can't throw this bag and this ball at the same time. So I kind of shook the ball to get the bag loose from it. And I kid you not, as soon as that bag came loose and I went to throw it, the bag kind of blew a circle around my head and I threw the ball right into the middle of that plastic bag. And it went, it went about 10 feet. I mean, it, that was it. And the look on the shortstop's face was priceless. He just, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Of course, I couldn't believe what was happening. The guy ends up getting an inside the park home run, which turns into like a big run in the game. And so now I've realized, okay, this is, you know, if, if there was video of this thing, it would be on all over sports center or whatever. Um, unfortunately there's not, but it did happen just like I'm telling you. So I managed to, to extract myself from the fence and crawl out of the garbage. And I realized that I hadn't broken my leg, you know, just kind of bruised it on the foul pole and coach Graham, I look up and here he comes and he's running down the, the left field line. And I think oh, he's coming out to check on me, you know, cause I had a pretty violent collision with this pole and he gets about three quarters of the way down the left field line. And I go to wave him off like, Oh no, coach, I'm good. I'm good. And he screams, I'm not coming to check on you. 
you're the worst outfielder I've ever seen in my entire life. It turns around and runs back to the dugout. So that's a true story. And that's probably my best story from my time at Rice. Of course, it wasn't not much glory involved in that. It's just a, um, a, a comedy of errors, so to speak. And, and by the way, we ended up losing that game and we also got swept. So we lost, that was part of the eight straight. We got swept two weekends in a row and, uh, and coach was certainly not happy about that. Was that the worst error in your entire baseball career? Uh, probably. Um, I would say um, a close second would have to be when I first got called up to the big leagues, we were playing in the Astrodome and uh, Billy Wagner had been called upon that we were playing the Diamondbacks. So if you'll remember back in the late nineties, early two thousands, they were one of the best teams in baseball. They won the world series in 2001 and, and in 99, which was my rookie year, that was when they were kind of starting to put together that dynasty. So, or that I say dynasty, they were starting to put together that team that ended up winning the world series. So they were good. And um, late in the game, bases loaded, I believe it was the eighth inning. And so they call it and Tony Womack, who's a little left-handed hitting second baseman is coming up to the plate. And so uh, I don't, I, I don't remember who was setting up for us that year, but whoever it was, uh, Larry Durker went to the bound to bring in Billy Wagner to try to get Womack, who's left-handed. And, of course, Billy threw left-handed, so left-on-left left matchup, try to get the final out of the eighth inning, and then he was going to lead Billy in to close the game out in the ninth. So I'm playing left field. And, of course, you know, kind of first real tight ball game to be in. And uh, and Billy throws a pitch, and Tony Womack hits a, a little flare out in the left field, you know, kind of shallow left. And I got a beat on it, and I think I'm going to get there. You know, I'm running. I'm, like, you know, going to be the hero to save the game. So I go to, I go to dive for the ball and retrospectively, I, at the time I felt like I was close to it, but if you watch a replay, I, I never got within, you know, six or seven feet of it. And so I, I basically took a big belly flop. The ball bounces in front of me, goes all the way to the wall and Tony Womack gets an inside the park grand slam home oh, run. Oh. And so the, I, I, on to add injury to insult, I, I, had a huge uh like strawberry on my the inside of my right arm which i still have a scar from to this day and so of course that blew the game open for them we ended up losing and if that didn't make matters worse i had a, a buddy of mine that i played in high school with and he uh had had gone to france after he graduated from college and he started a a bicycle tour company and so i got I got a message on my phone from a weird number. I was like, who in the world, what is this number? So I listened to the message and it's my, it's my buddy. He goes, Hey man, you're not going to guess what the CNN world play of the day was. And, you know, in major league baseball. And it was me flopping after that, <laughs> that ball trying to, you know, trying to catch it. And Tony Womack gets it inside the park grand slam. So I was like, Oh, great. So now not only is it all over sports center, but it's the CNN world play of the game. So uh, not that 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 might be my the the error that I had that had the most exposure. It wasn't really an error, but I mean it was not a not a great play. And Lance, you kind of touched on it, but what was it like to get drafted by the Astros and to have those great runs from 2003 really to 2005, which included a World Series? Man, that that, that it, I, the first thought I had when I got drafted by the Astros was, man, I'm gonna have to learn how to play a new position because they had Jeff Bagwell, and at the time I was playing first base for Rice. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to have to go back to the outfield. Uh, but being able to 
to be in your hometown essentially or you know where I played in college being from Texas and then we had a great group of guys on that team and so it was just it was amazing to get to play all those years at home and uh you know I I I still keep in touch with a lot of the guys, the, especially from that world series team. We had such a tight knit group, really good group of, uh, of, of people, not just baseball players. And that's what made it special. Lance, you touched on it earlier about how playing college was the most fun you had at what point. I know a lot of players I talked to, they say that at some point in time, when you are playing at the major league level, it starts to become a job. Did that ever happen to you? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, now look, it's like there, you, there's joy in, in what you enjoy doing for like uh, what you enjoy do for a living. Hopefully, like hopefully you have a job that you can find a measure of joy, but it's also a job. And there are parts of any job that, that just, you know, you're not crazy about And And so uh, for, for me, that's certainly true. College baseball is such a refreshing thing because it's it's people are really still playing for the team and not playing for themselves. And baseball is an interesting sport because it's really an individual game played in a team concept. So there's a lot of individual action that happens. You know, nobody's helping you in the batter's box. Nobody's helping you fill the ground ball. You know, nobody's helping you when you're standing on the mound. I mean, it's, it, it's individual versus individual. Um, but in college, every game, because the, the season's not, but, 56 games or whatever it is now every game's super important so it's like every game's kind of like a playoff game intensity wise everybody's willing to to sacrifice themselves for the good of the team and in pro ball you get some of that but you don't get as much of that and some of it I don't blame the guys that are in professional baseball because that's how they make their living I mean that's you're you're kind of your own franchise first and then you play for a franchise second and uh and that professional component to it I think takes something away from the team concept that makes baseball such a cool sport uh, and that's what you get in college you get just maximum effort uh, for the benefit of the team uh-oh I got it okay and Lance you kind of touched on it a little bit but what is it like to kind of switch from going to playing the coaching coaching at high school at second Baptist and now at UST what has that been like for you well, it's the, the coaching transition has been interesting and it's something that, I, that I've always wanted to do. Uh, the biggest difference between playing and coaching is when you play, you're responsible for one person and that's you. Like I know what my job is and I know I, the, how to get ready for me to play and all that. And when you coach, now you have to know what everybody's job is and you got to be concerned with what everybody's doing and making sure that everybody's ready to play. And it's a much different um way of going about game preparation and things like that and another another thing about it is like you you know what you're doing but when you coach you have to be able to articulate it when you're playing you just you do it and you know what to do and you don't have to explain it to anybody and you just you know you go out there and, and you play and so okay I know what I'm supposed to be doing on this bump play as an example I know what the, I know where the shortstop is supposed to be I know what the second baseman's supposed to be doing I know that but when you coach, now you have to articulate it. I got to tell the shortstop what to do. And I got to tell the third baseman where to be and the first baseman and so on and so forth. And so I think it's that the ability to communicate is one of the biggest things that makes, makes somebody a good coach. You have to be able to teach and communicate the game 
Whereas when you're a player, all you got to do is show up and play. And, uh, and so that's kind of a, that's a, a transition that you for sure have to, to make if you want to, you know, come out of being a player and, and trying to be a good coach. What's your favorite thing about being a coach? I think my favorite thing is just the interaction with the, with the young men that I get a chance to coach. Like, I feel like baseball is an avenue into being able to influence our lives in a positive way. And um, I also really enjoy what I call shortening the learning curve because I've been through it. I'm, I've experienced pretty much everything you can on a baseball field and helping them like you, you know, taking the knowledge that I've, earned from all my years in the game and being able to pass it on to them in an effort to to make it easier on on those guys to to play I, I love that it's just you know the teaching component the the passing on of the wisdom so you were on the 2011 world series team where before this season that was the last team that tony Larusa was a manager of now of course he's the new manager of the chicago white Sox. What can fans expect from Tony La Russa this year if you're a White Sox fan? Well, Tony's the best. I mean, he, he's, he's amazing, you know, Hall of Fame, just a great manager. But the thing about Tony that, that I love and appreciate so much is he, he puts his heart and soul into winning every single game. Like, he's, he has got a, a knack for making guys play with an edge and with some intensity that's uncommon at the major league level. Like, you know, when you play 162 games, like, like, like they do in a big league season there, there's a tendency at times to, and it's not, this is not a conscious decision by the players, by the way, but there's a tendency to kind of coast in certain parts of the year. And I never played against a team or having an opportunity to play for Tony where he would allow that to happen. Like he's always pushing guys to play at a very high level of intensity because he he's such an intense guy and you know he may you may look at him and he's standing in the corner of the dugout and you can't really tell what's going on behind his glasses and you know just he has a stoic demeanor on the outside but he's inwardly he's churning and he's thinking and he's doing everything he can as far as you know pushing the right buttons to win the game that night and and the other thing that you can expect from Tony is he's always going to have his players back in any kind of a situation He'll stick up for the players and then he'll take the blame for anything bad that happens. And, and I think good leaders do that. So um, I, I just really enjoyed not only playing for him, but getting to know him personally. He's a friend of mine. I, I feel like I can pick up the phone and call him if I want to. I need some advice on how to handle this or that. And I, I learned a lot from playing uh, under him and just playing against him for a lot of years. And kind of talking about Tony and that team, when did you know you had something special that year in 2011? And what was it like to have guys like our Pujols leading the way? Well, we kind of felt like what I remember when we first got to spring training, we felt like we had the best, best team in baseball, because at that time, you know, our, our one, two is going to be Wainwright, Chris Carpenter. And we had a great lineup um, when we had a good bullpen and all that. So we felt pretty good. Well, then about two weeks into camp, Adam Wainwright tears his UCL blows out his elbow, has to have Tommy John surgery. So now, like we're down one of our big horses. And I remember thinking, man, that, that's a shame because we, I felt like had a real chance to win the world series. And so it took us a little bit after losing Adam. Uh, it took us a, it took us a while to kind of find an identity as a team. Uh, and I feel like that everybody that whole year was interesting because we were sort of average for about three quarters of the year. I mean, we didn't play great. We didn't play terrible, 
but we would look around the room and say, man, we're like, we got more talent on this team. We ought to have a better record. We just hadn't been able to put it together. So a couple things happened. One, they made some trade. They made a, a trade at the all-star break that really helped us. We traded and got Raphael for call kind of short up our shortstop situation, which you have to have a good shortstop defensively to, to win. And, um, you know, then we, we, I think we brought in a left-handed, a couple of left-handed relievers that gave Tony some flexibility in the bullpen. Uh, and so that really helped us kind of, you know, get a better, a more solid team identity. And then we right at kind of what would be considered the low point, which was um, around October, or I'm sorry, August, like late August, 24th or 5th or something like that. We're 10 games out of the wild card spot with like a month and a week left to play. And we had a, we had a players meeting and Chris Carpenter stood up and basically was like, look here, fellas. Uh, we got a, we had a great and talented group. We haven't played up to our potential yet. This seemingly is a impossible mountain to climb this 10 game deficit with. So with, you know, only a, only a month basically left to play, but I'll tell you one thing we're a group of professionals. We're going to come to the ballpark every day. We're going to do our job. doesn't matter what happens. We're going to put our nose to the grindstone and go to work and see if we can't make some magic happen. And so I just remember the whole team responded really well. And that wasn't verbatim, but I mean, that was the gist of this talk. And I think we, we responded really well to that. Um, the next night we had the, the Braves coming in, who was the team that we were chasing. And we ended up, sweeping a four game series. So in the span of four days, we went from 10 back to six back. And, uh, and so that was a huge momentum shift for us. And then from there, I felt like we just kind of built on that momentum and got stronger and, and, uh, as a team and just really felt, um, felt like we were going to win. And, uh, that carried all the way through the playoffs and into the world series. So you played in the South Coast with the Astros and Rangers. You played in the Central with the Cardinals. And then you played for a little bit in the North with the Yankees. Is there one team that you never got the chance to play for that deep down you've always wanted the chance to play for and to play in as a home competitor? You know, not not really. I would have to say if there were a team that I'd be the, – the two teams where I feel like the fans are – super engaged at all times is Boston and Chicago, you know, either for the Cubs or for, for the Red Sox. And that's always fun as a player to play in front of a crowd that's passionate about the team and, you know, playing for the Yankees in some ways it's tough and in some ways it's great because everybody cares so much. And, and as a player, you just, you want to play in front of fans that, that really care about the outcome of the game because that kind of, that kind of uh, aura is sort of is contagious. So um, the the two teams that I would think would be interesting to see what it'd be like to play for the Red Sox and the, and the Cubs. But I, I mean, heck, I mean, playing for the Yankees and playing for um, both my home state teams and then, and then playing for the Cardinals. Uh, I, I feel like if I had to pick, if you just asked me before my career started to pick four franchises that I would want to play for, I would, the, that's the four that I would have named. So uh, in one sense, I kind of got to do everything I wanted to in that regard. And you kind of touched on it, too, but to get to play with Andy Pettit, both in, you know, Houston and New York, what was that like to play with him? And I know you all have a great relationship. Yeah, well, Andy's, Andy's a dear friend of mine and one of the great human beings of all time. And, you know, just there's no secret why. I mean, the man played in, in eight World Series and, and won five, which is remarkable. Um and, and he's just a winner. Like whenever you're around Andy, you just, 
you kind of get the sense he's got a certain aura that surrounds him. It's like, man, if this guy's on my team, then we're winning. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And he brought that attitude to Houston when he came and then took it back with him to New York. And of course, when I was there with him in New York, it was, it was just a great uh, time of fellowship. And he's one of my favorite teammates of all time. So uh, getting to compete with him in two different spots was, was a lot of fun. Did it make it easier when you got the news that you were going to play with the Yankees, that you had someone so familiar like Andy on that team? Yeah, well, that was the main reason that I agreed to the trade is because he was there. And so I told, you know, I had a no trade clause. There was a handful of teams that that um, that I would have accepted a trade to. And so working with our GM through that process, I was like, I'll, I will accept the trade to New York because Andy's there. And uh, so that was a big factor for me and in, in, in ending up there, which, you know, th that that year was probably well, there's no probably about it. That was the worst year of my career in terms of production, um, with the exception, I guess, maybe of 2012. But I only had, you know, like 40 at bats. But if I had a, a decent sample size of at bats, 2010 was my worst year of production. And so I did end up doing very well either in Houston or New York when I went up there. But what was fun for me was the playoff experience with the Yankees. Uh, I actually ended up swinging the bat pretty well in the playoffs, which was gratifying. And just to, to feel the energy of like a, a Yankee home playoff game was, was neat, was a neat experience for me and a lot of fun to, to get to be in that environment. Awesome. And Lance, the last question I have for you on the podcast if a 15-year-old kid walked up to you right now and said, Lance, I'm not a fan of baseball. It's boring to me. I'm never going to watch. What are you saying to that 15-year-old kid? Well, I always tell people baseball is one of those sports that the more you know about it and understand the strategy and the nuances of it, the more interesting the game gets. And so I always liken it to, to two guys playing chess. Like if you don't know anything about chess and you don't know how the pieces move and you don't know the strategy and you don't know – you know, any of the gambits that, that people sometimes use, it's, it's boring. Like, oh, you're just moving pieces around on a board and, you know, no big deal. But if you understand all of that and have appreciation for a skill and for the things that are going on, sort of the game within the game, then chess is infinitely fascinating. You know, you just watch it and like, man, oh, that's cool. They, I don't know, why did he make that move? And then you have start to, so baseball is not a game that can be casually, um, observed and enjoyed i mean i guess it can be there there's a certain rhythm and a pace to it that's that people enjoy but if you really want to get into it you got to get into it and i know that sounds like a kind of a stupid statement but the more you learn and know about it the the more interesting it becomes so i would encourage that 15 year old kid hey you know the, the, the this is not a game is not about instant gratification like you get so put your cell phone down and start to get into some of the strategy and start to really learn the game of baseball. And I think you'd be surprised to find how interesting it really is and how intriguing and how it will draw you in. And the great thing about baseball to me is compared to the other sports is that the, the length of time that the drama lasts, like baseball is the one professional sport we have where drama is drawn out over literally hours. I mean, you're playing, you know, when you play in those big game sevens or deciding games and that kind of thing, I mean, you could you could be in this and, and enjoy this tension for 30, 45 minutes. I mean, it's not like it's just a, it's a very um, 
intense thing drawn out over a long period of time. So all that, I know that's probably kind of a long-winded rambling answer, but I mean, the short, the short answer is the more you know about baseball, the more enjoyable it is. And so learning about the game and, and the strategies involved is, is the key to me to enjoying it. A quick follow-up to that. Is this, is that by you saying you like the strategy component about the chess meaning that you like the shift? Uh, you know, it's funny. The shift, I think, actually takes away from the strategy of the game because, uh, and, I, and I heard something uh, by, that Mark Teixeira said on, on TV the other day, and I think I thought it was a really great point. I, I'd never really thought about it like this, but the baseball has turned into kind of an all or nothing game. Like, okay, we're striking out or we're hitting a home run. And part of the reason for that is, is the shift because now – there's very few ground ball based hits anymore, especially to the pull side. And, and so guys uh, hitters are like, well, I mean, if I'm not going to get those hits anyway, and I'm going to hit for a low average anyway, I might as well try to hit the ball out of the ballpark every time. And you know, it's all or nothing. Whereas if you allow the fielders to spread out or you force them to spread out where you're now getting, you know, you're, you're opening up some other avenues. I think the strategy kind of comes back into the game a little bit where it's not so much an all or nothing contest, so I would actually be an advocate for, you know, making it like the catcher's box. Like you maybe draw a line right behind second base and like you can only play two guys on either side of this line. You can't have three guys on, you know, on the right or left side of this line. And so I'm, I wouldn't be opposed to teams shading, like shade in the middle or shading, but I don't like to see three infielders on one side of second base or the other. Great points. Great points. But Lance, thanks so much for taking the time today to join Bottom Line Baseball with Jackson and I. Well, I've enjoyed it, fellas. Thanks for having me on.